Hello and welcome to the Engineers Collective, the podcast by New Civil Engineer. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with all your colleagues. It's free to download on all podcast sites or you can listen at newcivilengineer.com forward slash podcast. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. Bentley invites you to gauge your organization's progress by taking one of their going digital assessments. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace of possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going digital. Welcome to the Engineers Collective. My name is Claire Smith and I'm editor on Newsletter of Engineer. And today I'm joined by WSP Head of Civil Bridge and Grand Engineering, Steve Denton, who will be talking to me about Eurocodes and what the implications are for them with the UK's upcoming exit from the European Union. We'll be looking at whether Brexit presents risks or opportunities for standards and codes in the UK. Within WSP, Steve leads the firm's 650-strong civil, bridge and ground engineering unit and also their UK technical leadership function. He remains heavily involved in projects, particularly in complex technical matters. He is also a visiting professor at the University of Bath, a trustee of the Clifton Suspension Bridge, a non-executive director of Syria and an active fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Of most relevance to our conversation today, he is also the chair of CENTC 250, the International Committee with Overall Responsibility for Eurocodes. In that role, he is leading the development of the second generation of these key standards, which is the largest standardisation project ever of its type, involving many thousand of experts. Last year, he was unanimously re-elected as the chair of TC250 for an unprecedented third three-year term by the 34 European countries as CEM members. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Claire. It's a pleasure to be here. So when I graduated in 1997, I remember everyone was still clinging on to British standards and were nervous about Eurocodes. But 23 years later, it really has become the norm. Now, many people think that Brexit means we're going to be tearing up the rule book and standing alone and going back to British standards. But that's just not the case, is it? No, and put simply, no. Um, you know, I sometimes encounter that perspective and and I struggle to understand what it really means. And there are a few important facts for people to understand here. Firstly, the standards that I think people are talking about are British standards. They may have been developed through an international consensus process, but they were published as BSENs or BSISO documents. And the second point is that that BSI remain a member of SEN, the European Standardisation Body. And as such, they're bound by SEN rules. And SEN is a private organisation to which European national standardisation bodies are affiliated. It's not an EU body. And as a member of SEN, BSI are bound by SEN's rules. And that means we cannot have national standards that conflict with standards developed uh, through SEN. And the, the final point here, and I think this is really the key point, is I think when I hear this viewpoint, it misses the distinction between regulations and standards. So standards are essentially voluntary instruments that are developed through a process of consensus by a recognised body or through a recognised body. Their status can be elevated by regulations or contracts, but they're not the same thing. Now, with Brexit, the regulatory structures in which we operate may be changing, but that doesn't mean that the standards will. So what would be the implications for the UK engineering sector if we were to step away from Eurocodes? 
Yeah, and again, I, I kind of hear this question and I, I wonder what it actually means. You know, if it means should we step away from our role in international standardization, then I think that would be a huge loss. The reality is that trade is international and international standards play a key role in it. If we lose influence, then we damage our ability to shape international standards so they reflect our needs and priorities. You know, the standards will still exist, we'll still be uh, affected by them. Um, but we'll be impotent to affect them. And I can't see how that would be to our benefit. If alternatively, it means I'd like to return to the old withdrawn British standards, there are a host of issues there. Because, you know, firstly, from a, from a design standards point of view, when we were working on the development of the Eurocodes, essentially the work on the old British standards stopped. So if you take something like BS 5400 part four for concrete bridge design, which is a document I know very well, I think the last edition of that was 1990. So are we really wanting to go back to documents that are 30 years old? You know, as a further point, when we implemented the Eurocodes, we did, we did a lot of work to go through all the existing standards at the time and say, is there anything here we want to retain? And a lot of that material was migrated into complementary documents. And, and so I kind of wonder what's really missing. I think there's a point that standards work as a system. You know, often this isn't talked about sufficiently. Standards work as a system. Design standards work in conjunction with standards for products and materials and standards for execution for construction. So with construction tolerances, for example. You can't just pick and mix, you know, so how would that work? And, and look, the final point I'd make is that our building regulations already offer flexibility. They trust the competence of designers to adopt suitable standards for the work they're undertaking. So, you know, it, it, it is a discussion that I hear and I do find myself sort of questioning, as I said, you know, what, what exactly does this mean? So why does it matter to have standards for the civil engineering industry? Claire, I think this is a really good question. And, you know, I, I'm really lucky that the, the role that I have within WSP means that I have the opportunity to work on a, a wealth of really, really fascinating projects. You know, so why do I invest so much of my personal and professional time in standardization? And it, it's something I've kind of thought about. And the simple answer is because I think it's really important. And I've thought about why I think it's important. And, and let me share a few things with you about that. So firstly, I'd say it's about impact. You know, the Eurocodes are used by over half a million engineers in Europe and many, many others around the world. You know, construction is worth, what, about 11% of GDP, and these are the design standards for that sector. You know, the impact is huge. It's something I often say to the members of TC250 when we're, you know, we're sitting in a meeting room and discussing a, a decision, and I try and bring people back to the the case that, that those decisions that we take, they may be being taken in a small meeting room sitting in Brussels or whatever, but the impact is huge. So impact first. Secondly, um, international trade. You know, design standards are on the front line of international trade. The better we make the Eurocodes, the more widely they'll be adopted and the bigger the international market to which UK engineers will have ready access. A third one, and this is a really important one, the way I describe it is verification of adequacy. It's a kind of horrible expression. But, but the point that I want to make is that if you look at most other branches of engineering, the engineers learn lessons in lab, typically in labs or factories. You know, what is producers of a scale where you get to test it? For civil engineers, what we do is at a scale where it's impossible to do that. You know, we, we kind of know, you know, we know from the articles you publish, you know, we know that 
when we learn lessons, we learn lessons in the full glare of, of public attention. Mm-hmm. What we need is a, is a means by which we can therefore verify the adequacy of our designs before things are built. That's the role of design standards, and it's, it's fundamentally different from most other branches of engineering. Um, and look, let me throw in a few other just really quick ones. Our sector is fragmented. We know it's fragmented. You know, it's fragmented over time. It's fragmented between because of the different organizations that have roles within construction products projects. That fragmentation means that it is hard as a sector to learn lessons. You, you contrast that with, um, say, the automotive sector, where I'm sure that if if a car manufacturer has a has to recall a product, I am sure the ramifications of that are felt by every component of that organization from those involved in conceptual design right through to the maintenance of of cars you know you can you can touch the whole organization the impact on the whole organization as a sector our fragmentation means it's hard to learn lessons and and standards play a key role in enabling us to learn lessons and we know that's true because if you trace the history of the development of standards those points in time where there have been major incidents have often led to a really important period of activity in improving standards. So there's this mechanism to learn lessons and look how we embrace new societal demands, sustainability, climate change, carbon reduction, standards have a real impact in that space. And also, you know, research, and it's something which is really close to my heart, you know, how do we get research into practice? Standards have a key role to play on that as well. So if we're not leaving Eurocodes behind with Brexit, how will UK engineers still be involved? I I hope, I expect, um, just as they are now. So through BSI, we have national mirror committees, we have delegations that attend European meetings, and we participate in the formal processes of, of inquiry and voting, and will continue to do so. There's a small change to voting procedures in SEN in response to our non-EU membership, but it's actually very rare that that would be material. And for me, actually, as I've, as I've pondered this, I think there's there's the point about, you know, will our opportunity to participate change? And I hope that it won't. But there's also that issue of, of will our appetite change? And I was very reassured when, so so I think, you know, maybe we'll come on to talk a little bit around the evolution of the Eurocodes. But as part of that project, we've had three major calls for international experts to participate in funded project teams. And, and one of those calls happened before the UK's Brexit vote, and two of them happened afterwards. Uh, and something that was was really interesting for me was that in all three of those calls, there's been a really strong level of of UK you know application of the response from the UK from UK experts to participate but but actually what's interesting was as a proportion of the responses it actually went up after the brexit vote compared with before and and I just I found that you know interesting and in a way reassuring that it just affirmed professional engineers commitment to continue to contribute to what I think is just a really, really important project, a really important initiative. I guess it's really recognising that a lot of engineers don't just work in the UK, they work on a lot of international projects. So they need to know what's happening and they need to be engaged with the codes that are being applied in all of the countries. 
Look, I think that's right. And and um, we work on international projects, but we're also influenced by other developments and trends. And I, you know, certainly I'd say from my experience, I've learned vast amounts from working with engineers from other countries. Um, they bring different perspectives. They bring different experiences. And, um, uh, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a real pleasure and privilege for me to to spend time with some, you know, tremendously eminent engineers from from outside the UK and, and learn masses from them. So you'd really encourage people to continue getting involved and perhaps some of the younger engineers as well, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, standards are standards are developed through a consensus process. They are driven by participation. The organisations like SEN and BSI are absolutely vital in in facilitating the process. But the technical content, the coverage, is down to the experts who participate. So fundamentally, we get the standards that we deserve. And and if we don't, you know, if it, it frustrates me if I hear people who are critical of the standards we've got, but I sense that they haven't tried to do anything to influence them. And, and I would say that my initial interest in, in standardization and standards development stemmed very much from from a position of pragmatism. I just felt that they were important. I felt that I wanted to do what I can to try and influence them constructively. And so I took the decision to invest time in trying to do that. So as I mentioned earlier, Eurocodes have now been in use for over 20 years and work is underway on the second generation of codes. Can you give us an update on what's happening on that? Yeah, very happy to. And, and it's a huge project and um, uh, I'm really happy. So look, maybe helpful to segment this into three things. So let me talk firstly about objectives and I'll talk a little bit around the sort of detail of what's happening and then and then a little bit on programs. So in terms of our objectives, TC250 has been really clear. We've got two overarching objectives for everything we do. The first is that we want to improve ease of use of the Eurocodes. And the second is that we want to achieve exemplary levels of international consensus. And one of the first things I did when I was elected chair was I formed an international panel to work out what ease of use really meant to us. And and that panel produced a document um, that was unanimously supported by the SEN members and has really guided all of our decision making ever since. And and in terms of achieving exemplary levels of international consensus, you know, it is a fascinating challenge. You know, how do you get 34 countries populated by a wealth of experts to agree on 5,000 pages of, of technical content? And, and and there's a number of steps that, that we've taken to support that. And I think from my point of view, one of the things I'm most proud of in chairing TC250 is that since I took over the chairmanship, we've taken something over 200 formal decisions by vote. Um, and we haven't yet had a single negative vote from a single country on a single topic. And and that's not because we haven't dealt with difficult issues. And to be honest, there's been a few tactical abstentions at times that have sent a message. <laughs> but fundamentally, I think there's a recognition that building consensus is a journey. You know, it's it's not it's not something you get to at a point in time. It's something that you work towards. You know, consensus is not about everybody getting their preference. Consensus is about getting to a destination where everyone can stand confidently behind the position that you achieve. And and um, and I'm really proud of how we're working towards that challenge ahead, but really proud of where we got to so far. So, so that's the broad objectives. In terms of what's happening, uh, developments to all the Eurocode parts, new content, um, 
Uh, we've also got um, new documents on structural glass, new documents on membrane structures, new documents on, um, on FRP, and, and also a new document on the basis of assessment of existing structures. So, so in terms of program, uh, I mentioned the project teams. So we've got four phases of work by project teams. Phases one and two are concluded, three and four are well advanced. Uh, when that work is finished, the responsibility for finalizing the documents passes from those project teams to subcommittees and working groups. And it's their job to then take the documents through the formal process of, of, of inquiry and formal vote. So is that the tricky stage? Well, it's kind of when the rubber hits the road. I mean, I, it's, there's a, you know, I, I, often, I often think in terms of those objectives we set, enhanced ease of use, well, well, that's going to be the feedback we get, isn't it? You know, the, the users, particularly practitioners who are our key target audience, you know, we'll hear that from them. In terms of, in terms of exemplary levels of international consensus, that's going to be, you know, we've got a good hard measure for that because there's going to be votes at the end of this process and we'll be able to tell how well we've done. So we're going to be moving through between from now till 2025, loads of activity around inquiries and formal votes. And then after that, the activity will be more at a national level about national implementation. And, and, and the reason why it's really topical to talk about the programme now is that this phase of, of inquiries where the documents are made, are made available through BSI for people to comment on is really the last window. There's been lots of opportunities so far, but this is the last window to provide technical input into the direction in which these standards are heading. And so it's a really important point in time. And, uh, and we have worked exceptionally hard and put in place an awful lot more steps that have improved the transparency of the way we've gone about this project than is than is a requirement of the send processes. You know, the window's been open to influence for a long time, but it's but it's starting to close. And so it's good for people to realise that this process of inquiry on the draft documents is is probably the kind of the last chance to influence at an international level. But it's also with in terms of commenting on the standards it's about finding resolution so it's not just saying i don't like this it's about suggesting alternatives as well isn't it it's it, it, it's vital you know it's vital do you know something else that's really important is sometimes it's actually about saying what you like because because what happens in in committee meetings is everyone looks at what people don't like <laughs> and and you and and there's a sort of temptation to then say well the dislike holds sway but actually it's really powerful if people do like something to say actually we're really happy with this it's very very helpful if you get that kind of feedback yeah it tends to be more focused on the negative doesn't there so when do you hope to publish the the final codes yeah so 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 actually we've we've already had the first formal vote on on a new document a new a new um technical specification so it's a voluntary document uh on the basis of assessment so that's going to be published soon so we've already start of this process we we are targeting october 2025 for the final formal vote of the last of the new eurocode parts and i know that feels like ages away but but actually we've got you know 60 plus documents to take through inquiry and formal vote over, you know doing that over a sort of four and a half year period actually it's a huge amount of work so what kind of things are the updates hoping to address? Will we see more on carbon net zero and climate change in the second generation? Yeah, and these are, you know, these are so important, you know, and engineers have, have such an important role to play. And, you know, it's interesting being asked this question today and just, you know, last week seeing 
Rachel Skinner's inaugural address as a new ICE president, which I thought was just absolutely fabulous and challenged all of us to ask, you know, what what are we doing? What are we going to do about about um, you know particularly around net zero, which is so important. So so from a, a standardization point of view, from a Eurocode perspective, if we take the climate change adaptation side first, um, I suppose the most important thing that we're doing is looking at the way in which climatic actions, so environmental actions, temperature, wind, snow, the way in which those are dealt with. And as, as people that use the Eurocodes will understand, the actual, the, the values that you use are based on national maps, so they're contained within national annexes. But what we want to do is to make sure that we give enough flexibility for countries to be able to specify those thermal actions or wind actions or snow, uh, snow loads, um, uh, specify them in a way that accounts for climate change. And then on the mitigation side, you know, in the climate change mitigation side, which is obviously so aligned with net zero, um, you know, there, I think there are several things, and these this touches very closely on on some of those things we as engineers can do in our day to day decision making. So, so one of the best things we can do is not be wasteful in material. So if we don't want to be wasteful in material, then we need to have efficient designs. In order to have efficient designs, we need to, through the standards we have, unlock sophisticated ways of doing analysis, other things that enable experts to apply their expertise and to design structures that are very efficient. So efficiency is one point. Another really important element is, is actually about extending the life of structures. So durability is key there. So it's making the most of the embodied carbon that's already in our infrastructure. Well, I think both the both the the embodied carbon in what we have in existing infrastructure, but also, and, and that's where the assessment and retrofit standards come in, but also that if we are designing new structures and building new structures, we should be building them to be as durable as possible. You know, and, and then there are some specific points, and, and obviously cement, concrete is important. And you know, one of the things that we're doing there is that you know it's well understood that particularly if you use cement replacements you get later development of of strength so we've 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 kind of locked ourselves into this 28 day cube strength reference point you know but actually if you use cement replacements you get quite a lot of strength gain after 28 days mm-hmm. and there's quite a lot of applications where where 28 days is a really arbitrary um, reference time, and so what we're looking to do within the or doing within Eurocodes is to is to really unlock the possibility of designing for a later strength gain, and actually sort of pushing designers in the direction of of, of thinking you know maybe more in terms of ninety days, and then twenty eight becomes the special case. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's reasons why early strength gain matters, but often there isn't, and if there isn't then let's not be wasteful in terms of the um, um, cementitious materials that we use. So it just gives us flexibility here within the codes to actually take an alternative design, use innovation. Robin. I, I, you know, ab- ab- absolutely. And I think the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting sometimes where you, when, you, when you question what the purpose of standards are. And, and, and one, of the, one of the criticisms that's sometimes levelled at me is to say, you know, our design standards are not doing enough. And and I've had you know fascinating conversations with with Chris Wise, for example, who's a wonderful eminent engineer, who 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 asked the question, should we have standards where maybe we have a safety factor that specifies, but then we say, but it shouldn't be more than another number. 
You know, and I think it's a really insightful question. You know, should we be somehow controlling the wastefulness within the standards? Now, my view of that is that's not something we should have in standards. I think it's absolutely something that we should have in regulation. It needs the teeth. But what we need to do is we need to provide a suite of standards that enables engineers to verify the adequacy of designs, to satisfy those essential requirements of safety, serviceability, robustness, durability, but do that in a way which is as efficient as they possibly can and that enables great engineering to be done in a way which uses our, our, our resources as efficiently as possible. So given the time it's taken to develop the second generation of standards, are you almost going to finish those in 2025 and need to start work on the third generation? Well, I I, I think when we get through the second generation, my work will be done. Um, I... I that that you know it is a really interesting question and you can you know i know that with the first generation actually you know with the first generation the the european activity finished around 2010 well they were published 2002 2007 and 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 the kind of the mantle passed to 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 um to countries at that point to implement but yeah, around by 2010, we were already thinking about the second generation. And it'll mean that from, from that work around 2010 through to really formalizing and starting this project, which was 2016, probably, you know, and we're looking at, at, at concluding the work at a European level about 2025. So it's a nine year effort. I do wonder whether in the future we'll be able to move a little faster. There's a lot of very, very good reason why it needs to take that long. But you know, I'd be hopeful that that as we progress into new digital ways of working around standardisation, we can up the pace a little bit. So you, you mentioned about digital ways of working. Is that incorporated into the standards? Is there a standard for that? So what the standards do, what the Eurocodes do, is they equip engineers with what they need in order to satisfy those fundamental requirements for safety, serviceability, robustness and durability. But what we're absolutely recognising is that the way in which engineers perform their designs is changing. The use of numerical tools and advanced numerical tools is moving apace. And so there will be more coverage of that subject within the, in the Eurocodes. And there are some really quite difficult issues around you know, nonlinear numerical analysis and how you have a safety format that works in that context. And, and people familiar with the field will know exactly what I'm getting at in terms of some of the complexities there. I think what I'd what I would say though is that you know actually there are other standards that are looking at BIM and other things and 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 those are important too but there is a sort of there's a there's a, a principle that one tries to apply I think in standardization which is that you, you want a standard to be a, a kind of single purpose document so you don't try and mix things up the eurocodes design standards are there for design and what we need to do is develop standards that fulfill that purpose, but they're also compatible with the way we work these days. And you know, it's, a, it's a minor point, but there's, you know, something else that we're doing is, you know, we've set ourselves the objective that if we, if we provide, for example, graphs to, to, to support design, then we should always provide the equations that underpin those. Because actually, if you're, if you're coding up software, you, you really want to have these supporting equations. It's quite hard to deal with with something that might be shown graphically. So, you know, there's a few simple, obvious things that we're trying to do just to make the application of the standards as amenable as possible to digital working. 
So there are certainly things that weren't considered when the first generation of Eurocodes were developed over twenty years ago. Yeah, look, I think I think they I think they were not they weren't perhaps as topical. You know, they weren't perhaps as topical. And look, I think the other thing which we're we're you know really acutely aware of is that the way in which engineers use standards is changing. And um, uh, so one of the other things that we're doing is that um, you know in the past standards were produced predominantly. Um, it's kind of paper-based documents. You know, they get published as PDFs. They, the, the, the information was kind of locked into a format that made it really hard to, to access it. Um, uh, what's now happening is that the Eurocodes are redu- will, be, will be released to national standards bodies in both a Word format, but also in, a, in an XML format. And that XML format unlocks all sorts of interesting possibilities around you know, integration of design tools with other aspects of digital design or, you know, expert systems, knowledge systems that can help people navigate um, the standards, which is, a, which is a big challenge when there is, you know, they are kind of lengthy and I've realised that. And, and one of the things that we're working hard to do is to make it as easy as possible for people to find the relevant content, you know. And again, there are simple things that we're doing. So, um, you know, if you look at the Eurocodes today, there's there's quite a lot of situations where, if we present a sort of a complicated method and the simplified method, we put the complicated one first and the simplified one afterwards. And we just looked at it and said, you know what, let's just swap them over. You know, let's have a simplified method, a clear definition of where it's applicable. And then if that's suitable for people and they can apply it, great. If they need to use a more general complicated method, we'll put that afterwards, we'll be clear about its scope of application. And we'll also try really hard to make sure that the simple method, the complicated method, if you like, or the more detailed method, the more more um, general method, would always give you less conservative results than the simplified one. And sometimes in the Eurocodes, that isn't always the case today. So that's great. So people aren't going to have to sit down in 2025 and read these new codes cover to cover the different approaches that they can use to actually access the information. Well, I think what what you know, and this is where you kind of have to look to what one has in 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 your, you know, one's own control. I think from the perspective of someone involved in standards development, developing those standards so that they are amenable to be released in XML format, I think is is really important. That's what we'll do. But then that unlocks the possibility of others to do all sorts of interesting things with digital information held in, um, uh, you know, in an XML format. And quite what will happen, I don't know. But um, But I think there's lots and lots of examples of where, information data is made available and then you see all sorts of exciting uses for it and and i'd hope the same will happen with with the eurocodes great so we've got quite an interesting future ahead with eurocodes rather than it being six weeks time leaving the european union brexit meaning the end of eurocodes so i think you know it's something really to look out for so thank you very much for joining me today steve you know i think there's a lot to be excited about and um, a lot of people need to be really engaged with to make sure that they are active and informing the Eurocodes. Great. Well, thank you. It's been really nice talking to you this This podcast is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. Bentley invites you to gauge your organization's progress by taking one of our going digital assessments. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace of possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going hyphen digital hyphen rail.